This podcast is sponsored by the Copywriter Underground. It's our new membership designed for you to help you attract more clients and hit 10K a month consistently. For more information or to sign up, go to thecopywriterunderground.com. What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes, and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work? That's what Kira and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast. You're invited to join the club for episode 137 as we chat with copywriter Austin Mullins about what he does as a growth strategist for B2B SaaS companies, how he attracts and closes leads, what it's like to build an agency, and the challenges of investing his time in more than one business at once. Welcome, Austin. Hey, Austin. Thanks for having me, guys. Longtime fan of the podcast, so excited <laughs> to be here. Great to have you here, Austin, as one of our former Accelerator members and now a Think Tank member. Um, it's about time we had you on the show. So let's start with your story. How did you end up as a copywriter and growth strategist? Yeah, it's uh, I started a bit early. So um, I first started doing a, a little bit of copywriting work in high school, actually uh, stumbled across uh, Upwork, which I know is, is often kind of a dirty word around these parts, but uh, stumbled upon there and, and, you know, was interested in this freelancing thing. Had always been good at academic writing, but didn't particularly enjoy it, but stumbled across this term copywriting and uh, started to do some really low level work, like uh, helping people write reviews and such at first, um, and then gradually worked my way up to kind of being a generalist copywriter who would write blog content for all sorts of, of businesses, brochures, a little bit of web copy in there, but uh, not web copy done the right way with lots of customer research. Um, and then, you know, did that for a while, made the mistake of letting my family convince me I should go to college. And so business kind of dropped off. Um, and then when I tried to get back into it, things didn't pick up quite as quickly as I thought they would. Um, so I ended up telling myself, okay, I need to learn sales. I'm, I'm not good enough at closing new business. So I went in-house at an agency um, as a sales guy, worked my way up the ranks there. Um, and then more recently have uh, departed that agency and am now working totally on my agency, uh, which is focused on content marketing and SEO, uh, as you mentioned, for B2B SaaS companies. Okay. So I want to ask about uh, the mistake of going to college. You know, this is something <laughs> that a lot of people don't talk about. And uh, an interesting phrasing. Obviously, it's not a mistake for everybody, but why was it a mistake for you? What was it about that experience that was wrong? Uh, and and you know, what has happened since uh, you left? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, one reason it was a mistake is that I had a little bit of momentum. So, um, I was, you know, not earning a lot of money as a copywriter, but enough to get by at the time. Um, and so kind of allocating that much of my time to something else that wasn't really what I wanted to do, um, but out of obligation to someone else, uh, was not a great idea. Um, it was understandable at the time, but in hindsight, it wasn't a great idea. Um, the other thing was I was studying the wrong thing. Um, you know, I've always been interested in, um, you know, how do you persuade people to do things, human psychology. Um, I probably should have been like a behavioral economics major or a psychology major. And instead I was there studying finance, um, which was uh, not really where I wanted to go. And I think even if I had finished, 
I would have gone right back to marketing. And so it would have kind of been a, a moot point. Okay, cool. Um, so, you know, I love the way that you laid out the path and you started on Upwork. How old were you when you started on Upwork? Um, I believe I was 17, which I, I probably had to to forge the form somehow to even join because uh, I don't think I was allowed to be doing contract work yet. But we have to bust you. Okay. Um, so for people who are in Upwork, because I agree, like it's sort of this dirty word, but it's not, and it works really well for some people and gives a lot of people their start in copywriting. So for a copywriter who's on Upwork right now, what advice would you give them to um, to grow beyond Upwork? What are some steps they could take? Yeah, absolutely. And and you also had a wonderful guest on, Danny Margulies, who gives some great advice on, on how to make that channel actually work for you. Um, but outside of that, um, you know, there's a lot you can do. Um, I think one of the first steps for a lot of people is, is getting their own website, something that's kind of their own, you know, piece of media that talks about the work they're doing, can display the work they're doing, and gives them the opportunity to have somewhere else to send someone other than just an Upwork profile or something like that. Um, so that's a really important step and something you can kind of work on over time. Um, I think definitely getting involved in communities and meeting other copywriters and talking about where are they getting work. Um, and then also talking to people outside of a platform like that, even, you know, whether it's in person at networking events, whether it's online and you found a niche you're interested in and you're talking back and forth with people on social media, um, all that sort of stuff is going to eventually lead to if you're talking about your area of expertise, people are going to want to work with you at some point. Um, and so you don't have to drive them onto a platform like that. You can just start to engage with them um, outside of those platforms and build that up over time. What did you learn from your time as a generalist copywriter, which is where a lot of us start? Um, what are some lessons that you learned from that time? Absolutely. I learned how to research really well. Um, I ended up writing some really strange stuff sometimes. So um, an example I like to use is I, I once wrote for a company in Adelaide, Australia, um, that makes overland conveyor belts for mines, uh, like 20 mile long conveyor belts to haul aluminum and coal and so on. I knew absolutely nothing about those ahead of time. So I had to go learn about how do they make these belts? You know, what's special about them versus the two major competitors they have and write something that was a pretty big deal to them because so few people control that market share. And this was a brochure that was going to be sent to those 12 decision makers um, that control the rest of the market. So really high stake stuff, but having to learn how can I speak in the voice and sound informed on something that I didn't really know anything about ahead of time. And, and that served me well beyond that. So Austin, as you moved yourself off of Upwork and started working with clients on your own, what did those first couple of clients look like? How did you find them and what did you do to start that engagement? You know, some of them ended up approaching me because of work I had done. And so you, you get like referrals over time, which is, um, you know, continued to be a, a really major channel and where probably the highest quality leads come from, the, the easiest to close, um, certainly. Uh, so that was a, a real advantage. Um, and then also, you know, the other thing, aside from kind of direct referrals, there are networking with with other writers um, and they will kind of send up the bat signal when it's something that they know you're focused on and know you're specialized in. And um, I've had that done for me. I also do that for other people. And that can be really powerful um, because their word generally carries some weight with the people that they're kind of interacting with and, and might bring you in on. I would love to know about um, what really helped you get into a groove. So, I mean, again, you laid out your path, but what in there really helped you grow your business or feel like you were really nailed it and had that clarity? Um, 
I'm guessing I know what it is, but I'd like to hear from you. I mean, there were a number of things. Um, I think going in-house was actually extremely beneficial for me. And maybe it was because I was so early in my career. Um, But I think going in-house and learning how to sell, um, not only did it mean that I'm much more confident jumping on calls with clients now, um, I'm much more confident with how that whole client acquisition process should go and, and how to go about it. Uh, but it also made my copy way better. Being able to sell on a one-to-one basis makes conversion copywriting or even content marketing where you're earlier in the stages of awareness much easier because you have. I feel you have a much more intimate knowledge of where you're trying to go and what that's likely to take, what the objections might be once you've done that on a one-to-one basis. Um, and then the other thing was getting in you know, joining the accelerator and then joining the think tank and getting to surround myself by people that were a, a lot smarter than I am and be a lot further along in their business. Um, and there's so much you learn just kind of by osmosis being around, seeing what they share, seeing what their challenges are um, and things that you might've been concerned about realizing that they don't even think about it and just kind of have moved beyond, you know, maybe some of the mental hurdles you had around pricing or something similar to that. Um, and it helps you get over that a lot faster just by, kind of throwing yourself in the room and and trying to catch up. So before I ask my next next question, I just want to jump in and say, yeah, I totally agree on the going in-house option. Sometimes for people that it's just such a a good option that a lot of freelancers kind of sneer at or or look down on for some reason I don't understand, but uh, it's not a failure to go in-house. In fact, oftentimes it's exactly the thing that you need, you know, to let somebody else worry about finding clients while you just get better at copy. So I, I love hearing you talk about that, Austin. Yeah, absolutely. And then my, my next question for you, though, is, okay, you've specialized uh, with SaaS and uh, B2B and maybe even more specialized than that. Talk about that process and why you decided to specialize in the niche that you did and what that did for your business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, really, it just came out of um, looking at the marketplace overall and, and seeing what interested me was was kind of the the beginning of it. Also, as a generalist copywriter, you get to test out a bunch of different industries. And I, I got to work on a few SaaS uh, projects and was really interested in that industry. And then also, it's a lot easier to write for a market that you're a part of. And I am definitely a SaaS consumer. Uh, my monthly SaaS bills are absurd. Um, and uh, I'm often the go-to guy for a lot of people on you need a tool to do something in particular, chances are Austin's tried three of them and, and can re, you know refer you to the one he thinks is best for your use case. Um, so that sort of thing just combined kept sort of driving me that direction. And I might have even you know niched before I was ready, but I think long-term just having that focus meant now I knew who to talk to. Um, I knew what to kind of narrowly educate myself on. Um, and over time, my kind of level of sophistication with that niche caught up to my ambition to work in it. Um, and so now I actually sound like I know what I'm talking about. Right. So how would you break that down for a copywriter who is trying to figure out, wants to specialize, they know that they're all over the place, they don't have that focus, um, they're a newer copywriter. Uh, what What could they do to actually start figuring that out? Um, do you have any type of process they could work through? You know, I would say, first of all, just anything you think you might be interested in, um, you can A, go look and see if there's, you know, copywriting work you can get, even if it's on job boards or something like Upwork, and try to do some basic projects there and, and get in the room with kind of what their challenges are. But also, I think people are very receptive to 
you know, cold pitches that aren't salesy and, and you're really just genuinely asking for information. I think if you take the time to figure out exactly who you want to talk to um, and then approach them, you know, not everyone's going to say yes, but if you're approaching them from a, you know, I'm curious about the market you're in, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I just want to understand better what sort of challenges a business like yours faces and whether it's even worth me getting deeper into this or whether this is the type of work I might enjoy. I think a lot of people would be receptive to that. Um, and as long as you're able to, you know, be respectful of their time, uh, make sure it's utilized well, and then hopefully also be able to give them some sort of value um, and some sort of takeaway also. You could learn a lot just from talking to people that are already in that industry that would be your potential clients and seeing, you know, do you all even think the same way? And, and do you feel like these are problems that you'd be interested in tackling or it's just not for you? Yeah, I love that. You've been focusing kind of on building two different businesses in the last uh, year or so, Austin. Will you talk about that, the, the, how you split your time and maybe the way that that's changing as you move into the future? Um, so just to clarify, um, I was kind of focusing on three. Are you talking about the, I mean, let's talk about them all. <laughs> yeah. So, um, not well uh, is how I balance that. <laughs> the, um, pretty much the, the solo copywriting business, uh, has gone to the wayside. Um, I leave the site up there because occasionally leads come in that way and I'm not opposed to, to doing that sort of work at all. Um, but honestly it would be done under the umbrella of the agency contractually and, and in my mind as well. Um, so, you know, I, I basically consider myself an asset of the agency um, a, for all intents and purposes. Um, with the the other agency I was working for, um, it was really tough. You know, I found myself doing a lot of sales work there, um, even though I was meant to be a sales manager, being on the phone like, you know, 20 hours a week, many weeks. Um, and so balancing that was tricky. Um, it was good for a time to, to have that stability. Um, and what it allowed me to do is start to build out kind of some of the standard operating processes um, for my own agency so that, you know, when I'm ready to plug people in and, and I have already, um, it's easier to actually hand things off to them and, and not have as many uh, kind of little questions on how things should be done. And it also allowed me to, to you know, get the branding for that right, um, get our website up, produce a little bit of content um, and kind of lay that foundation so that when I decided to go full time on it, we already have some clients, we already have our branding uh, in play, we already have a content strategy. And now it's just a matter of executing much faster and, and trying to grow it at a faster pace with, you know, kind of all of my energy and, and all of my time. So it sounds like three businesses is too many. This is my takeaway. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so I shouldn't start another business. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Not until this one's on autopilot. <laughs> so now you're fully focused on your agency. Yes, absolutely. And, and happy to be so. <laughs> right. Okay. So can you talk through, you know, because you have such a strong sales background, I really just want to tap into that and go deeper into that. Can you talk about the client acquisition process and how it should go for copywriters based on your experience, ideally how it should go for us? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we, we talk a lot about how to generate leads. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be either you know, kind of warm referrals, whether it's, you know, someone who wants to directly work with you and partner with you and brings in a client or they're just referring work to you directly, or it's going to be some sort of inbound. So because you're producing media, maybe you're ranking on search engines, maybe you're ranking on directories, those leads are going to come in, um, or you're going to do some sort of cold outreach. 
Um, and I, I see those as kind of the big ways to drive leads, but um, pretty much the sales process is the same, except that with colder leads, you have to do more rapport building um, and more education. But I really advocate doing consultative sales. So um, when I'm jumping on the phone uh, with a prospect, and I do recommend that you always jump on the phone with any remotely qualified prospect, especially if you aren't comfortable with it yet, that means you should be talking to everyone until you are comfortable. Um, it's a great opportunity to take unqualified leads and use them to just get used to talking to people on the phone and get used to selling on the phone. Um, so that's one big thing that I don't see people do. Um, in terms of how to do consultative sales, um, it really starts with asking a lot of questions. You want to understand their business as well as you can. Um, so the you know the first half of the call should be you just kind of digging deeper and deeper into the problem and seeing you know do you see patterns that are emerging across different people you talk to? Do you really feel your services are a good fit or not? Um, and if they are, then you can move into, you know, telling them a bit about how you might help them, what it's like to work with you. And if not, I truly do recommend um, referring them to someone else, starting to build out your partnership market, um, talking to people who have different specialties and, and really getting to know them because that will pay dividends down the road. So if someone actually needs a graphic designer and you're a copywriter, it's great to know five that specialize in different things. Um, and then be able to refer work out to them because that will either directly or indirectly come back to you later on. Um, and if you're a copywriter interested in sales, um, A, I know Joel Kletke is putting together some great materials on that. Um, and I would also rec recommend reading the book uh, Spin Selling, which covers consultative sales pretty well uh, as an intro. Yeah, Spin Selling is a cool framework for you know thinking through the sales process. I, I want to jump back to, you know, you, you sort of glossed over the cold leads process. You know, how do you attract cold leads? What are you doing to warm them up so they'll even get on the phone with you so that you can have that discussion with them? In terms of cold leads, you know, it's really about um, a number of things. I think the, the number one thing is having offer market fit, which is a really tough thing to do. Um, but uh, often when I'm you know, seeking out cold leads, it's email outreach is, is what, what I'm doing. Um, the first step is you know, trying to identify who is actually going to be receptive to your offer. So you're looking at, first of all, what type of companies are you, are you well-suited to work with in terms of the industry they're in, um, or even the kind of sub niche, maybe you don't just work with SaaS, but you work with MarTech startups that just raised a Series A. Um, depending on how you know specific your service offering is, um, you need to understand who you should be talking to at that firm. Um, so, do you need to talk to the VP of Marketing, or is are your offers more suited to a director level title? Um, do you need to be talking to a totally different department? Maybe you need to be speaking to the VP of Operations, um, and that's a better contact for you. Um, so determining who you want to talk to within that um, and then starting to put together some messaging that basically says, you know, OK, here is, you know, why I'm speaking to you specifically. And I recommend really doubling down on showing you did your homework, showing you know exactly who you're talking to. That helps you stand out from a lot of pitches that people get um, and then moving into specifically how you could help them. You need some sort of social proof element typically. So that's where case studies are really good to include there um, and then trying to have a clear call to action, which for me is usually let's jump on a call and, and see if this actually makes sense. 
And then once you jump on that call, a lot of it with cold leads is that early education and rapport building. So just the same as you would with a warm lead, you want to make sure you've done your homework ahead of time, you understand their business at a surface level, but you want to show your genuine interest in their company and the problems they might have and whether this is relevant um, and make sure that they understand how you can really help them. Or if you can't, be very respectful of that and you know, offer to, to point them another direction or just thank them for their time and, and move on. Okay. So I love that. And then do you do anything at the end of a project to encourage, you know, repeat customers or uh, to get, you know, additional leads or referrals or anything like that? So I work mostly on a retainer basis. So by the time we've kind of ended a contract, we've worked together for a year. So I'm, I'm pushing for renewals there. A lot of that is basically showcasing uh, total results for the year. Um, so that can be, you know, really powerful just to show all the progress you've made over the course of a year. If you're working in that sort of model, um, you know, it can be excellent. Um, in terms of asking for referrals, um, I know we've talked about this a lot in the think tank. You have to be really strategic about it. I think it's great to ask for them whenever the client happens to be really happy with the work you've done. And that might be after month one, you've, you've just done a bunch of, you know, high level strategy work for them and they're loving the direction you're going. Um, it can be great to ask them, you know, hey, do you know anyone else uh, who might be facing these same sort of challenges that I can help as well? Um, or it might be later in the project. You know, they're, they're really happy with, with how things are going and, and you've just wrapped up a project and maybe they don't have an immediate scope of work for you to jump on and continue working with them. Um, it can also be a great time to say, you know, really enjoyed working with you. Um, I'd love to connect with anyone else you, you know who might need this sort of work. Um, and you can even, I recommend doing it um, a, on, on the phone is, again, it's much harder for people to just ignore things or, or people don't feel as comfortable telling you no as they do via email. Um, so doing that on the phone, especially if you're doing kind of a postmortem and, and walking through everything you just completed can be a great time. I think that's also a great time to ask for testimonial language. Um, so, you know, ask them if you can record the call and ask some questions to get some feedback on how the project went, what it was like to work with you what wasn't so great. Um, it's even better if you can have someone else do that, but I know a lot of us are solo operators and that can be a great time to kind of tie it in with you're giving them value, but you're also asking for that feedback. And then you can ask for permission to use it later um, once you've kind of got it edited into something that makes them sound really smart and makes you look really good. What are some mistakes that uh, copywriters make on sales calls that we may not even be aware we're making, or maybe ones that you've made in the past that you've now corrected? Yeah, those are the ones I want to hear about. Your mistakes, Austin. <laughs> um, the, the biggest mistake I made and that I see a lot of copywriters making in the early days um, is sending proposals. You should never send a proposal. That's a terrible idea. Um, you always want to present a proposal. Um, and there are a number of reasons for that. So you want to get them on a call to walk through the proposal. And I recommend not even sending it ahead of time. Don't give them any chance to look at it before um, you're discussing it. I don't even share it with them during the call um, in terms of sharing them you know, a document that they can look through. I screen share. Um, and the reason for this is, as I'm walking through the proposal, I want to control the pacing and I want to control exactly what you're looking at. Um, and the reason for that is, A, we don't want them to scroll all the way to the bottom. Just like any sort of conversion process, we want them to hear the reasoning. We want the, them to hear the benefits. We want them to be sold on the idea of working with you before they ever get to consider price if they're already kind of high level qualified. Um, the second thing is you want to encourage them to interrupt you 
with any sort of objections they have so that you can handle those ahead of time. So if you send over a proposal, someone might have an objection as they're going through it and just write you off without giving you a chance to explain it. But if you're presenting it live and you're controlling the frame and encouraging them to interject with any thoughts or questions they have, you're much less likely to run into that. Um, and then also at the end, you can ask really important questions and get more concrete answers, such as, what's your timeline to get started? Or, you know, which of these three options I've presented seems most appealing to you? Um, you know, should I go ahead and start drafting a contract so that you can look over the language um, and move things along much faster? So Austin, in addition to being a copywriter, I know you call yourself a growth strategist. What is the difference and how does somebody become a growth strategist? Becoming a growth strategist is about understanding the larger picture of the customer journey. Um, and certainly good copywriters, I find, almost always do have a bit of growth strategist in them. Um, but I, I think that's a really key part of it is understanding how does someone go from you know, completely unaware or maybe they're aware of their problem all the way through to making a purchase decision and beyond uh, what makes them really happy um, and, you know, makes them stick with a particular service or product over time. Um, so understanding that, also understanding some of the other tools that are involved. So having a working knowledge of things like web design or graphic design so that you can hammer out basic stuff, I, I find is really useful. There's a lot to be said for specialization, but there's also a lot to be said for at least having a, you know, a mediocre understanding of what the other specialists are doing, even if you can't accomplish all of it yourself. And then I think the other side of becoming a growth strategist, uh, you know, moving beyond that um, is you might be doing a different type of work. So there are times where I'm coming in and the work we're doing has nothing to do with writing, conversion or producing content. It's pure strategy work, or it's more about implementing a process and helping document that. So sometimes it means you're going to do different types of work that wouldn't necessarily fit in this bucket that we call copywriting, but draws from a lot of the same skill set. And I'd love to see more, um, more copywriters offer that because I find they're often some of the smartest people in the room when it comes to marketing overall. Yeah. So I, I agree. And I really like you know, how you're explaining that. I'm wondering if you could go super specific on an example of a kind of project that you do. So, uh, you know, beyond copywriting, but, you know, is, is it, can you like step by step us through how you might help somebody with something that's related to growth uh, so that we can kind of get a picture of what's possible? Um, I guess, you know, a, a common case for us is the the way we work in conversion creatives is often um, a combination of both content production, but also content strategy, uh, SEO in terms of technical and link building. So we're doing a lot more than, than just the writing portion, even though we brand ourselves as a content marketing agency. So when someone comes in, we spend the entire first month of retainer not producing any content yet. Um, instead, the very first thing we're going to do is go through every piece of content they've already produced um, and map it both to where does it fit within the customer journey um, from a technical side? Is it competing with other pages on their domain and, and is it helping to drive traffic uh, overall? Um, we also take a look at, are there any technical errors that we need to fix? Um, sometimes we can find big wins that have to do with the way they structure their website um, and the way different pieces of content are interlinked or related. Um, so there's a lot that can be done there that before we even get into the content, from there, we tend to put together um, our editorial calendar and our content strategy for the rest of the year, both, both in terms of what we want to produce as pillar content, what we want to produce as uh, like blog posts or, or smaller content. 
And then also, you know, what's kind of our, our link building angle? How are we going to get out in the world and get in front of more people who are not already part of the audience? Um, so, you know, what sort of publications do we want to go after? And working with the client to, to come up with all that stuff before we even get into the actual execution part of producing content is really important and, and more in line with what you might be doing as a growth strategist. Okay. <laughs> okay. There's a lot there I want to get into. Um, but I like the title growth strategist and I kind of want to call myself that. Of course I won't, but if somebody's interested in that, what would three simple action steps they could take um, today to just start integrating some growth strategy into their process without feeling overwhelmed? You know, that three simple steps, that, that's interesting framing. Um, or I just think one, just give us one. Step number one would probably be, you know, when you see a, a problem in the client's business that's probably ten, tangentially related to what you're doing, um, offer to jump on a call and just consult with them about it and, and charge for it. Um, I, you know, you've already built up expertise as a copywriter with your clients, but often, you know, as copywriters, we're able to identify other problems with kind of the overall marketing picture. And sometimes we know the solutions. So if you do, um, you know, offer to jump on a call and, and help them work through that, even if it's something that their internal team is going to be executing on, you can help them build the, the framework and the process of how they're going to go about that, how they're going to measure success and how they can iterate on it if it isn't immediately successful. Um, so I would just start to do a bit of, of consulting that isn't related to a written deliverable at all. And can you get, give an example of that consulting? I mean, how much you would charge for something like that? Is that a, a day of your time, a half day, or what would that look like in your business? Um, you know, the, the way I've historically done it when it's not tied to a big retainer is um, I would charge, uh, historically, I was charging 105 an hour for that. Um, and I found it more useful to actually, instead of doing big blocks of time, I give them one or two hours at a time and spread it across multiple weeks because I like to give people homework. Um, so um, I would, you know, walk through, here's how we're going to go about this. Here's what I want you to go execute on. And then we're going to come back and we're going to measure what you've done so far and start to iterate on that. So um, one example of how I did that in the past was helping people develop their, their cold outreach process of how are you going to go about sending you know, cold emails and batches, but making sure you're not compromising on quality as you do that. And what does that mean in terms of how you do your customer research, how you word your scripts, how you use mail merge software, and then how you measure the results of the initial send and continue to tweak that whether you need to change your subject line because your open rate wasn't great, or you need to change the way your call to action is worded, or what social proof you included because people aren't taking the end action you want, which um, in these cases, it's usually jumping on a sales call with us. Hey, we're just jumping into the show today to tell you a little bit more about the Copywriter Underground. Rob, what do you like best about this membership? So this membership community is full of copywriters that are investing in their businesses and taking what they do seriously. Everything is focused around three ideas, copywriting and getting better at the craft that we all do, marketing and getting in front of the right customers so that you can charge more and earn more, and also mindset so that you can get out of your head and focus on the things that will help you be successful at what we do. There's a private Facebook group for the members of the community, and we also send out a monthly newsletter that's full of advice, again, on those three 
areas, copywriting, marketing, and mindset, things that you can mark up and you know tear out, put them in your file, save them for whatever, and it's not going to get lost in your email inbox. Carol, what do you like about the Copywriter Underground? So I, I love the monthly hot seat calls where our members have a chance to sit in the hot seat and ask a big question or get ideas or talk through a challenge in their business because we all learn from those those situations. And then I also feel like the templates we include in the membership are valuable because who wants to reinvent the wheel? And Rob and I end up sharing a lot of the templates and resources we use in our own businesses. So I would definitely want to grab those. So if you are interested in joining a community of copywriters that are investing in their business and in themselves and trying to do more, get more clients, earn more money consistently, go to thecopywriterunderground.com to learn more. Now back to the program. I want to back up a bit because I can't quite let this go. And I don't think we've talked a lot about the proposal review. And I know most copywriters do send proposals. They don't present proposals. Uh, so can you, you talked about it, but can you just like break it down for us as far as what you're saying when you get on the call or even the email you're sending to invite the client or prospect onto the proposal call um, and just like get into the nitty gritty with the proposal review? Because again, I just feel like we're not talking about it enough. So it's unclear. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you should be thinking about the proposal presentation call from your very first call. Um, and the way I typically like to do it is before you get off the, the first call where it's more a discovery call, as we would term it in sales. So you're learning about their business. You're giving them a high level overview. And then at the end of that call, you're saying, hey, I'm going to go and you know do the rest of my homework. Maybe uh, you're going to send over some materials for me to look through. And then I'm going to put together a specific plan for how we can work together. Um, and my ask always before they're even off the call is I'll pull up my calendar. I'll ask them to do the same and nail down a time for that. And go ahead and, if you can, send them a calendar invite with a, a Zoom link or something similar while you're still on the phone and get them to commit to that so that there is no kind of email in between asking for that. That's already on the calendar. The only thing you need to do in between is go back and forth on any sort of access you need. So if you need to have a look at their Google Analytics and they need to invite you to that, you can follow up on that. Um, I often send over kind of like a capabilities deck or some case studies in between there to give them something to look at. And then I invite them to share that with other stakeholders in case they're kind of doing some internal selling with the other people that have to sign off on this. Um, and then once you jump on the call, um, you know, take a couple minutes to, to kind of, you know, ask them how they're doing. Um, and then I screen share and just walk through it, you know, kind of slide by slide or step by step, depending on how it is. Um, and then, you know, you, you, at each step, you're kind of explaining your reasoning of why did you include a particular item? Um, what sort of benefit is that going to have to them? What do you need from their end in terms of communication or resources um, to make sure things get done on the timeline you're proposing? Um, and then at the end, um, you know, depending on the client, sometimes I think we know exactly what we uh, need to do for them. And so I'll only pitch them one option and, and really try to you know, get them to go with that. Um, other times I love to do uh, present multiple options and have one that's really high just for price anchoring um, on the off chance they might go with it. But it's kind of the, if you want everything under the moon and everything I can do for you, here's kind of that package. And then you have your kind of middle one, the Goldilocks option that they're most likely to go with that gives them everything they need and then a little more and then have kind of like a bare bones option that just barely gets them where they need to go. It's not inadequate, but it's not, you know, all the extras as well. 
Um, and then from there, you need to move into contracts. So that's where those questions such as, when are you looking to get started with this become really important? I feel like I'm sitting in on a masterclass on proposals Seriously, and sales Seriously, this is calls. good. This, this is good stuff. Yes, yeah, this is really good stuff. So on the, in the uh, danger of changing that, I want to shift gears just a little bit and ask you, Austin, you know, as I listen to all of these things that you've done and accomplished and the different things that you've tried, what is the, the one thing that's made the biggest difference in your business? Oh, man. Um, I think it comes back to some of the stuff we've already been discussing. It was, you know, the, I don't know that I can narrow it down to just one, but two, certainly. It was college. It was college, <laughs> it was right? Definitely not college. <laughs> I, I, the, the two biggest factors have been learning how to sell because it, it influenced not only my ability to get business, but also the way I write quite heavily. Um, learning how to sell on a one-to-one basis. So definitely recommend more people spend more time on that. Uh, copywriters especially like to hide behind their keyboards a lot. uh, And the less we do that, the better. Um, There's a lot of opportunity for copywriters to be teaching and sharing their expertise. Um, And then the other thing was really embracing community, Um, realizing that it's, it's best to just go in for the long haul tactics right off the bat and just go all in on it. And so whether that's, you know, sharing your thoughts with the community, but also, you know, really trying to understand what other people are doing and helping to promote them as well and learn from them, uh, whether it's in, you know, a larger group setting, a small group setting in person is fantastic to accelerate that. And so I highly recommend coming to events like, you know, IRL, um, which I hear is in San Diego next year. So that's exciting. Um, all that sort of stuff is is really powerful. So that, that's probably the biggest combination uh, for me is learning how to sell and really going all in on community are the two biggest drivers that I've seen. Okay. So if I am a newer copywriter, then I know you mentioned spin selling, uh, which is a book. I think there's actually a training, an expensive training program around that as well. Um, what other resources should we be looking at? You know, assuming that we're not going to take an in-house job, you know, to learn how to do this, how can we teach ourselves how to sell? What are, what are some of the resources you could point us to? You know, I, I think the best resource you, you can possibly get is to have other people, um, record yourself on calls. So jump on calls, any opportunity you can at first, um, even with leads you don't think are going to pan out just to get practice, record those calls. You can a listen back to them yourself, um, which can be really powerful just to, um, you know, understand where are you pausing? What, what about your language is flowing? Is there anywhere where you're not really representing yourself well, but then also, you know, you can have someone who's more experienced at sales, whether it's a fellow copywriter who's willing to lend you some of their time, or, you know, even if you're paying a professional sales coach for an hour or two to listen to it and give you feedback. Um, I think that can be a really higher ROI activity because once you fix some of these behaviors and kind of get your pitch down pat and, and really learn how to conduct a sales call properly, it's going to pay dividends for the rest of your career. Um, So I would recommend uh, kind of those two routes. Record yourself. Um, It's very important. Okay. You talked about leads before and the three types of leads. Um, What would you recommend to copywriters who are trying to get their first few clients and are really struggling to get leads? What would be the most effective and best use of their time? Um, one thing that I, I see people really early on struggle with before they've even had those first couple clients is they feel like they have no work to show. Um, so there definitely there's a lot of value in just demonstrating that you can do something, even if it's not for a real client. Feel free to write articles or, or write a brochure or a you know landing page copy for someone you don't even work for or a fake client. 
Um, just to demonstrate that you can do the work is really important. Um, so I would definitely recommend that. Um, I would recommend looking for, you know, more experienced copywriters in your niche and seeing, are they overburdened with work? There are a lot of people who are fine to, you know, have copy cubs or, or to, you know, work with you on certain projects, um, especially if, if they're kind of overburdened themselves and you're giving them attractive rates. Um, and then over time, you know, you, you get better and better. I know some of the, the more prestigious uh, copywriters out there love to do that. Um, so that's definitely something I would look into as well. So Austin, I'm curious, what's next for your business with everything you've accomplished in the past? Like, where are you going from here? Uh, it's it's an exciting time for us. Um, we're we're going all in on publishing our own content. We actually just published an, an article on how to pitch editors earlier today that we we spend a lot of time on. So um, that's a big focus for us now. Is you know how can we produce high quality content and um, really my kind of motto lately has been don't scoff teach. Uh, so anytime I find myself kind of looking at something and disagreeing with what someone's putting out there or the way someone's going about something rather than scoffing at it, I take that as that's an opportunity to share my perspective and, um, you know, why do I think there's a different or better way to go about that? Um, so that's kind of been a, a big focus. And then we're also kind of doubling down on partnerships. Um, you know, we're, we're interested in working with, uh, we love to work with writers. We don't produce all the content in-house. We we edit it. Um, but I, I like working with writers of, you know, who are at different stages of their careers. As long as they're focused on it and, and willing to do the customer research and put in the work, that's really interesting. And then we're also working with other agencies that maybe are doing really in-depth UX work or, or something like that, um, where we can both expand our capabilities, but then also... Um, it's a great way to get intro to new clients is working with people who have different specialties than you do and um, being able to build those long-term relationships with them. So you mentioned we and you have a team. Can you talk a bit more about your team and how many people and and the structure of your current agency? Yeah, it's a, a small team right now. We're, we're just getting started. So uh, you have myself. Um, I'm kind of all over the place, you know, as, as early uh, agency owners and, and business owners almost always are. Um, so I, I do a lot of strategy work, a lot of editing work, and a lot of promotion and sales for us. Um, we have uh, our content lead, uh, Abbas Sarawi, um, who just uh, wrote that article we just published today. Um, and he's been an interesting guy that first reached out to me a couple years ago, and I've really seen him grow as, as a content writer. Um, and he's gotten quite good. Um, so now he's working with us. We have our outreach specialist, um, her name is Kayla, um, who manages mostly our link building efforts. So for clients, we're always trying to get their content featured different places, get links to their website so they can become more authoritative over time and trying to make sure those are relevant to the the kind of space they play in. Um, so that's a big focus. And, and we do all that in a white hat manner, just meaning we're, we, we're not faking it. We're actually reaching out to people and trying to build those relationships with publishers and genuinely produce high quality content for them. Um, and then we have uh, our kind of analyst, uh, newer intern guy. His name is Brian. Um, he's learning kind of some of the on-page optimization and uh, kind of helping out in a, in a variety of ways. But uh, he's he's newer, so we haven't quite found what his role's going to be long term. But it's an, exci an exciting time. So tell me, Austin, what is the hardest thing that you do working with this team or this business? What you know, what gives you the most difficulty? What's the thing that keeps you up at night? Oh, the hardest thing is is 
hiring and training people, um, get, getting people to the point where they can do something 90% of the way you would want to do it is, is incredibly difficult. And the only way I've found to do it is to create such in-depth trainings and such explicit instructions. Um, and then we created what we call a learning management portal. So we have a separate domain that's password protected. Um, and then there are video and written trainings there for every kind of task I might ask, ask someone to do. And I've just point them in that direction. Um, and then you end up doing a lot of, of quality work. So uh, coming in, having one-to-one meetings with the person whose work you're having a look at and walking them through your reasoning of, you know, if, if there's a small mistake they've made or, or a way in which it could be better, not only what should be different, but why, so that they actually develop that skill set more and more over time. Uh, and you find that the amount of quality control or editing that you have to do on their work goes down because you invested that time on the front end to give them feedback that was actually meaningful instead of just fixing everything, uh, which is really difficult. It, it takes a lot of self-control not to just fix everything and try to get it out the door as soon as possible today. Um, but it keeps you from building that kind of debt of not having trained people correctly that kind of spirals out of control as you try to scale. And your team members, are they part-time or full-time? Um, so Kayla's full-time, the rest of them are part-time. Um, we're, we're keeping contractor base for now. The, the hope is definitely uh, to move everybody to W-2s eventually, whatever the team happens to look like then. Um, but, you know, in, in the interest of uh, both flexibility and, and cost savings early on, keeping everybody as, as contractors for now. And it can sound daunting, you know, to, to us when you have all this team, this robust team. What advice would you give us if we're interested in creating an agency? And it does sound overwhelming, but we know we want to do it. Uh, or I guess even what advice would you have give to yourself if you were doing it over again? Oh man, don't hire full-time before you're ready. Um, I would definitely start off part-time and have a very concrete idea of what you want someone to do. Uh, I've even heard this a lot with people working with VAs uh, for the first time that it goes really well when they have a set plan for them. And then if they run out of set things for them to do, um, they find it's very difficult for someone who doesn't have an intimate knowledge of the business to kind of find an area they can help. Um, So you'll do much better, A, having a really clear idea of what someone's role should be and, you know, what are their KPIs and and what do they need to understand to do it? Having all that ready before you ever start interviewing for it. Um, And then if you can uh, start someone part-time first, start someone on a contract basis or a test basis so that you can see not only can they execute the work, but how do you like working with them? Uh, Are they, you know, do they take feedback well Uh, Do you just enjoy working with them? All these sorts of things are very important to the team dynamic. And and do they fit your values, I think, is very important, too. Um, There's a certain way you probably like to approach your clients. And someone that that shares that approach and that perspective uh, can be really important, especially if it's a client-facing role and they're actually going to be responsible for some of that communication with clients. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, you're kind of all over the place in the agency. You have to fill a lot of different roles. So how do you structure your days and your week so that you're productive and focused? Yeah, that's a that's a tricky one. The the one thing I I do and, and have kept true to is um, I made the mistake kind of the first go around of being self-employed of working when I wanted to uh, and, and starting my days late and, and working really late. And it worked okay, but I, I don't think it's very sustainable long term. So I do try to work pretty much a, a regular um 
it's more like nine to six than nine to five. Um, and then I go and, and completely leave work behind for a few hours, go to the gym, make dinner, uh, you know, talk to, to friends and family, um, and then come back later in the evening and do some kind of mindless work while Netflix is on. Um, and that's kind of the, the structure in terms of what time gets allocated to work. Um, in terms of how time gets allocated within that, so what am I working on in terms of content strategy, sales, marketing for us? It really looks different from week to week. Um, typically, I like to block at least kind of two to three hours for one particular task at a time. So it might be that on a particular day, I'm doing sales calls in the morning and content strategy work in the evening. Uh, or occasionally, there's just something really pressing and or I have a lot of a particular type of work to do. And so I'll just batch it and fill an entire day. So maybe I'm going to spend an entire day just digging in and, and doing technical analysis for three different clients um, and putting together, you know, slide decks and reports for them. Um, and, you know, that's going to take three hours each. So I might as well do all three in one day and then kind of return back to working on the business as opposed to in the, the business the next day. Austin, you mentioned that you know how to get content read. Do you have any secrets that you can share with us to get our content read or everybody else who's listening's content read? Yeah, one uh, one thing that's been really powerful is you know including other people's perspectives and including other people in the content um, and then being able to leverage their audience. So we love to ask experts to weigh in on a particular topic. Um, we love to quote them or, or pull out their particular knowledge, cite their work. Um, it's you know citing work is I don't think a sign of having unoriginal thinking or, or anything like that. And I think people get worried about it. It's important to cite where you're kind of pulling your baseline information then from and then draw your own conclusions. Um, so I think that can be really useful to take that and um, you know, cite those people, let them know that you're drawing from their work and ask them if they check it out and if they enjoy it, um, if they would share it. That's been really powerful for us. Um, guest posting uh, can be really powerful. So I definitely think taking the time to understand a publication really well, see if your perspective and the type of content you want to share would actually be something they might want to share with their audience and taking the time to put together a really good pitch. And then, I mean, we go all in, we publish content that's of no less quality for uh, a guest post than we would put into our own content. Um, and that can be really powerful, you know, leveraging an audience that's already there um, so that, you know, you, you can build your own audience over time, but also, Make sure that even if they don't join your audience after that, that it was a valuable read and that they have real takeaways. All right, Austin. Um, I know we're at the end of our time together, but if someone listening wants to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Yeah. So always publishing on conversioncreatives.com. Um, so, you know, definitely go check us out there. Um, and then also, um, you know, I'm Austin L. Mullins on Twitter and LinkedIn. So feel free to add me there. Definitely happy to be talking to more smart copywriters. Thanks, Austin, so much for coming in and especially the masterclass on sales. It's been great. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> thanks, for thanks for improving our sales game. Thanks, Austin. <laughs> Thank you very much. Appreciate all you all do. You've been listening to the Copywriter Club podcast with Kira Hug and Rob Marsh. Music for the show is a clip from Gravity by Whitest Boy Alive, available in iTunes. If you like what you've heard, you can help us spread the word by subscribing in iTunes and by leaving a review. For show notes, a full transcript, and links to our free Facebook community, visit thecopywriterclub.com. We'll see you next episode.